0: So as we, uh, we, we walk out of the, the hospital, uh, the sliding doors, they open up, right? So we hit the carpet and they, and they open up. Um, I'm carrying the bags. The nurse is carrying my wife in a wheelchair. My wife is carrying our firstborn son, Nolan. And so we walk out, it's raining outside, and we stop there and the nurse says two things. She says, congratulations, and then she says this, which I found very odd. She says, best of luck. And she turns around and she leaves. <laughs> So, you ever found yourself like unprepared for the moment you're entering into? Um, See, Darcy and I, like, Darcy's my wife, if you've never met her. Um, We've read the books, we took the class, we did all the things. Um, We have parents, you know? So, and we think we turned out halfway decent. That's up to debate, but that's what we think. (laughs) And so we thought, well, having a kid, like, here we go. We can go do this. And then they walk you out of the hospital, and it's basically congratulations and, and best of luck. And we're sitting here looking at each other. I've got the bags, and she's got the kid. And we're like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> like... Do you know what I mean? Like, we've never done this before. This is uncharted territory. And so uh, what you you need to know is the hospital was in, it's in Southern California in the Inland Empire. And um, my wife was pregnant. And during that, I decided now's a great time to get a new job in a different county. So we left our community, moved an hour and a half away from my folks and went down to beautiful San Diego and knew nobody. And not only do we know no- nobody, my wife is very pregnant at the moment. And so we have this condo that we're renting and we're like, all right, fix it up, get it settled. You know, you try to go in nesting mode and just make everything happen so that we can then be prepared to do the hour and a half drive up to the Inland Empire so she can give birth to Nolan and then we can go and drive him all the way down. Now, last week I shared with you my, my California driving experiences and how speed limits are just suggestions. It's not an actual like rule that anyone follows in Southern California. And I promise you, like from, from the, the sidewalk right there to the parking lot in our car, like everything changed. In that moment, right? So I'm going over there. We open up the car. Like, we put Nolan in the car seat, and he's crying, right? So we get in the car. We're crying, and Darcy goes, I can't sit in the front. Like, she climbs in the back with the kid. I don't know what she was going to do, but she just, you know, have to be with the kid. And so I'm driving, and I promise you, my my hands did not leave from 10 and 2. Like, locked in the whole way. Did I mention it was raining? It was raining, like a a California rain. Not the, like, not that rain, but, like, dumping You get the extremes, you either get like the the spittle or you get like full on nasty storm. That's what we had. And so speed limit was 65 on the freeway, I was the guy going 55. Like I got precious cargo, this is new to me, I'm gonna figure this thing out. So we got home, we made it home, no one hit us, we didn't hit anyone, everything's great and and, and the boy was just passed out, just asleep and cute as can be. So we pull into the driveway, I turn off the car and we look at each other and we go, well now what do we do? We walk inside and I'm like, do I carry you over the threshold? No, that's a marriage. Like, what do, I, what do I do? And as a dad, a first time dad, I'm, I promise you, I felt completely useless. Like what, I, I don't, I have no idea what to do. Like once the kid gets older, then I can, I can help out a little bit. But I just felt so useless in that moment. And again, I've prepared for this. I've talked with people, I've read the books, I've, I've, I've seen the YouTube videos, like all the things. But it's different when you find yourself in this situation for the first time, isn't it? Like no amount of preparation will actually prepare you to do the thing. You have to just step into the thing and do it because what you don't know, you will learn as you go. And this is so true in so many areas of our life, right? Um, You you think about it this way. uh, The first time you went to elementary school, you've never been to school before, have you? You've heard stories about it, but you don't know what that experience is like until you actually step in it. Are you with me? The first time you, you date a boy or a girl, you hold their hand, your first kiss, like you've never done that before. You you've heard stories, maybe you've seen it, but you're trying to figure this thing out. The first time you go to college and you declare a major, that's brand new. And you say, this is who I'm gonna be. This is what I'm gonna study and it's gonna prepare me. And then you get halfway in your, in your degree and you're like, I don't, I don't want this at all. That's the first time you've made a huge life commitment and then you've trashed it. Then you've gone and made another life commitment, right? You have all these things. You've never been married before until you've been married. Hopefully dating has prepared you for that, but there's nothing like being married. Well, a da- it's not even close. Sorry to break to you, those are dating. It's not even close. The game changes completely completely changes. And so first time you buy a house, first time you sell a house, first time you become mom and dad, like all these areas of life, you can be prepared for it, but I'm telling you, you you can never be prepared enough until you actually step in and you start doing the thing. So here's the million dollar question for all of us that we all wrestle. What do you do when you feel underqualified for an overwhelming experience? Like, what do you do in that situation? What do you do when you feel like this is way out of my league, this is brand new territory? Yeah, I have some experience, I've got some skill, I have a little bit of preparation, but like, let's be honest. If the standard's here, today I'm here. I'm not the person I need to be to do this task. Are you with me? So the million dollar question, what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in that situation? And so that's exactly what we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna figure this thing out and come to some uh, some sort of conclusion. But I've realized this, part of starting is, is simply just saying, I, I am ill-equipped, <laughs> I am nervous, I am insecure about this, this is new to me, and all the jitters and nervousness and all that stuff, you kinda just brace it and you do what Nike says. You you just do it yeah. and you kinda stumble in into it as, as you're going. But how you go about doing it is very, very important. And so that, that's what we're gonna look at this morning in our text. So if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, open up to the book of Joshua. It's still, we're still in the Old Testament here, towards the very, very beginning, um, after the first five books, the Torah. Joshua chapter one. And, and we'll, we'll kind of pick it up from here. Um, <clears throat> as, you, as you turn there, a little bit of recap. Uh, we had creation, right? We talked about this. And then God makes a, a covenant. He makes a promise with Abraham. And I want to read it to you because in, in our time this morning, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. So it's this. It's Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from, just stay in Joshua. I'll read this. We'll catch up. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed in your name. Now here's what you need to know about Israel at this time. Israel is a big nation. They're not a great nation because in order to be a great nation, you need land. They have no land. They are a wandering people, right? The book of Exodus details this out perfectly. They are slaves in Egypt. And then, you know, Charlton Heston, like, let my people go, right? And so eventually they go, they cross the Red Sea. They're here. And what's fascinating is that Moses is their leader and he gets them to the promised land, but he does not get them in the promised land because of some sin. He disobeyed God. So he gets them to it, but not in it. So then you have this new guy on the scene named Joshua. That's the title of the book that we're gonna look at this morning. Joshua's task is to get them into the promised land. Here's what you need to know about Joshua. He's not a nobody. Like he's not brand new to the scene. He was Moses' aide, think uh, like his understudy, his Padawan, if you will. And he's training him up. So again, Joshua has some experience. He, he knows some people. He knows the leader, but Joshua is not Moses. Joshua is Joshua. And Moses is the greatest action figure in the Old Testament. If you were a Jewish boy playing, like, everyone wanted Moses. Moses is the best leader. He's the greatest leader in the Old Testament, and everybody knew it. And so you have Moses, and then you have Joshua. Joshua's not bad, but he's no Moses. So what do you do? What do you do when you feel under-equipped, under-qualified for an overwhelming task? That is our question that we're going to wrestle with. This morning, So Joshua chapter one, verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Now when it says all these people, the book of Numbers will say that Israel at the time had 600,000 family men. So that family men, do some math, scholars, theologians, they estimate, yeah, you got some wives in there, you got some kids in there, roughly 2.5 million people. I don't know about you, I have never led 2.5 million people in my life. Joshua has never led 2.5 million people in his life. They're, see, God has given them, the pro, you have the promised land, they're gonna enter this thing, but once they're there, there's work to be done. So it's like, yeah, you made it. Get to work. Like that's that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And I'm telling you, like, what do you do when you feel underqualified under for an overwhelming experience? Because Joshua, you're in one, my man. It's happening to you. Okay, verse three. This is God talking. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert in Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. In other words, you're gonna be very uh, victorious. It's gonna go well for you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's promise to Moses, God's promise to Joshua, Jesus' promise to his disciples, Jesus' has promised to, to us, and we have the Holy Spirit. This, this little phrase, I will be with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it is the key to success for Joshua and his people, and I would argue for you and I today yeah. as well. So here we go, verse six. This is really important. Be strong in what? Be strong and courageous because you will need these people, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your ancestors to give them. Verse seven, be strong and what's that word? Very. very. courageous. So we've just upped the ante, haven't we? Be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. In other words, obedience is gonna play a role in their success in moving into the promised land. Verse eight, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Talk about it all the time. Meditate on it day and night. Be thinking about it, be processing it so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Wow. Verse nine, we'll wrap it up. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Pop quiz. Why, is, why does it say be strong and courageous three times in that short little passage? Because Joshua wasn't. <laughs> he's no Moses. He's Joshua. He, he's got some qualifications. It's not like he's a nobody, but this is uncharted territory for my man. 2.5 million people. 2.5 million people. This is not like just some walk in the park and, well, I need to read a leadership organization book. no. This is massive. This is a really, really big deal. The task is daunting. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, because as you enter into a new country with a new culture, the temptation, and we know this, the temptation is going to be, like, to, the is going to, be to live like those people. Take up their customs, their rituals, their acts of worship. And, he, and, and God is telling Joshua, he says, no, be strong and courageous. You need strength. Stick to your guns. Be unwavering. Stay the course Follow the law and it's gonna go well with you because I'm going to be with you. So number one in your notes, I've said it a couple times, but number one says Joshua's key to success was dependent upon his obedience to God and God being with him. We're gonna check this out and we'll see this all throughout the book. I'm gonna do a, a massive overview, so buckle up. But you will see this over and over. Joshua's key to success was dependent upon his obedience to God and God being with him. Not his creativity, not his work ethic, not his charisma, his obedience to God and the fact that God was with him. It's very interesting that, that God is telling Joshua and thus the people of Israel, obedience is gonna play a massive role in your success in life. And I just wonder, I, I know it's Old Testament, but like, it kind of feels like that applies to us today too, doesn't it? It really does. Okay, we're just gonna go. There's so, oh, there's, I could do like five sermons just on that idea right there. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna summarize the book of Joshua and then we're gonna pull out some points as it relates to our lives. So here's what you need to know. Um, you have that, Joshua and the Israelites, they cross the Jordan River, which is like a mini Red Sea, if you will. This is the author's way of really painting the picture and saying, this is the new Moses. This is the new leader. He's stepping in those big shoes and Israel, we're going, baby, cross and they do, and it's amazing. The water's part, they do the thing. It, it is a wonderful experience. They get there, they set up camp. Joshua has this encounter with some sort of angelic warrior being, and it's awesome. And he asks a very obvious question. He, he, Joshua talking to the angelic warrior says, are you for us or against us? <laughs> Which is a great question to ask because in his mind, he's like, be strong and courageous, but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna lose this battle. <laughs> He's looking at him, he says, are you for us or against us? And the angel says, neither. He says, I'm for God. In essence, he's, he's flipping the question around and he's saying, okay, Joshua, Israel, are you for God or are you against God? Yeah. And it's gonna be, we're gonna find out as we flip through the pages of the book of Joshua if, if they're for God or if they're against God. And uh, so you'll keep reading. And then in Joshua chapter six, they have this battle against a town called Jericho. And if you're a kid and you grew up in church, you probably heard the song, no way am I gonna sing the song or even try to. Um, but remember how I said Joshua's success was determined upon his obedience to God? You're gonna see it here because I'm telling you, this is, this is the worst advice you would ever give a military army. It is, it is awful advice. It's embarrassing advice. Stick with me. Here we go. Joshua chapter six, verse one. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, right? They had this reputa- reputation of winning battles. Why? Because God was with them. So no one went out and nobody came in. The city was on lockdown. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, what's, this, what's that word? What's that next word? Aye. Who? What is it? I, it is God, not Joshua, not his creativity, not the generals, not the commanders, nobody. It is God. He says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. And this is where it gets weird. Verse three, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. That is weird. Like you're, imagine, you're like, all right, we got our weapons, we got our defenses and our shields and we're ready to do battle. In the name of the Lord, we're gonna be victorious. Joshua, what are we doing? He said, well, uh, day one, we're, gonna, we're just gonna do one lap. <laughs> Think of Joshua. Like, seriously, Lord, this, this is what we're doing. I have to tell the people. Thus saith the Lord. We're gonna march around this bad boy at one time today. Okay, that's weird, but we've seen God do some crazy stuff. So, okay, then what do we do? And he said, well, the next day you're gonna wake up and we're gonna do it again. And then we're gonna do it again. And then we're gonna do it again. And we're gonna do it again. Oh, and by the way, the priests are gonna blow some trumpets. So there's music. So that's good. Verse five, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Okay, you're not getting how ridiculous this is. So here's what I need everybody stand on up. Stand on up. Those of you streaming online, you need to stand up as well. Now, I thought about doing this. Um, (laughs) Here's what we're gonna do we're gonna take seven steps together. We're gonna turn around one time to represent walking around the walls of Jericho. I'm gonna do a, and then you're all gonna scream. Some of you are really impressed by that sound. You shouldn't be impressed by that. It's, anyways, uh, I'm not gonna have you turn around seven times because we'd all get dizzy and it'd be, it'd be kind of weird, but uh, just one time. So we're gonna take seven steps, turn around in the circle. I'm gonna go, and you're all gonna, you're, you're gonna scream. Raw's a great example. Uh, scream raw. Don't scream out like certain words. You know what I mean? Just like, just just give, it, just give it from the guts. Just go for it. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know how to start this. <laughs> I imagine this is what Joshua feels at this time. He's like, okay, we're gonna, ready, go. So here we go. Okay, ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Everyone turn around. <laughs> okay, sit down. Here's, it was quiet. It's there. So hear me out. Is that not the dumbest military advice? You have a fortified city, big walls. Everyone has weapons. Everyone has armor. Joshua, your strategy is you're gonna march, there's music, and you're gonna shout. Now, this is the dumbest advice, unless God told you to, and he's gonna be with you every step of the way. Clearly signifying that it is God who provides the victory. Not Joshua, not the Israelites, nothing else. The reason I'm really emphasizing this is because you and I throughout our lives, we're gonna feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us to do some strange things. And it's only strange if it's actually in fact like last night's pizza giving you a weird dream. But if it's in fact the Holy Spirit and you act obediently, everyone's gonna look at you going, seven laps? Okay. But God's with you. He's fighting the battle. And our success, if we're gonna be like Joshua, is gonna be determined upon our obedience to God and God doing the thing. That's amazing. What a a valuable lesson because people are gonna look at you and go, that's not how you win a war. That's not how you take a city. And you say, well, yeah, if you're doing it in your own strength. But if I'm partnering with God, if, if we're walking together, I'm being obedient to his leading, yeah, we'll be victorious, but it might look a little different. This is a big, big lesson. And so you have this story, and then right after it, you have this other story. It's the battle of Ai, and, and there's a guy named Achan. And the Lord says, I want you to win this battle, but I don't want you to take anything. Don't take the devoted goods. Those are, for, those are gonna be for God. And so Achan, what they do is they win the battle. He gets the devoted goods. He steals them. And he lies about it, goes back to his tent, digs a big old hole, buries them, covers them up. Well, everything just starts falling apart for Israel. They're losing the battles and things are not going well for them. Come to find out, up until the the point where Achan actually confesses that he stole the items and gives them back, everything's going wrong until that point. And then his sin is dealt with, and I'm telling you, it's dealt with harshly. But, but those two stories are back to back to say, when you follow God and you're obedient with God, the victory happens, the good things are happening. But when you live contrary to it and we do things our own way, or we think, that's dumb, I'm, I have a better idea, that's when the wheels fall off. That's when things start falling apart. And it's exactly what happened there. And so the main point, again, I wanna emphasize this so much, is that if Israel is to enter this land, if they're gonna set up there, if they're gonna thrive there, it is dependent upon their obedience to God and God's faithfulness. This is a package deal. It will not happen any other way. And so you keep reading throughout Joshua, there are battles upon battles upon battles. It is a very violent book. There are murders. It it is very graphic, it really is. Um, and you've got people that say, whoa, I've seen your God, I've seen your military strength, I, I want to place my faith in Yahweh, in, in the God of Israel. Then you have other nations making these alliances, trying to go and, and take over Israel, and, and Israel just wipes them out. Just, I mean, by a landslide, victorious. It, it's incredible. Now, I want to pause here for a quick moment, because um, this book, like I said, it has a ton of violence. And if you read through it, just skim it as fast as you can. It can feel um, really heavy. And you're like, wait a minute, I follow Jesus. And Jesus says, like, love your enemies. And here I read this and it feels like Israel is wiping out a whole nation. Like, wh- what do I do with that? So I want to push pause, talk about this for a hot second, and then jump back in. So if you've ever wondered that, like, why so much violence? Why so much death? Uh, I want to give you quick, a quick three, three thoughts on this. The first one is this, Moral corruption. It is atrocious what is happening in the land of Canaan at this time. It is awful, especially regarding sex. I can't even read. You need to read Leviticus 18. I will not read it in church because it's, it's going to be disturbing. The second thing is their child sacrifices and how they practiced those. They would burn their children alive at the stake. This is horrific horrific practices. And a lot of scholars and theologians will read these things and they'll think, man, the reason this is in here is one, it it is God's justice. And two, it is saying, Israel, this this, this practice in this foreign land is never to enter your community. We're never to live this way. We're never to treat one another this way or any other human being this way. The second one is the question of, did God actually instruct like the genocide of the Canaanites? And the answer is no. When you read throughout Joshua and some other books in the Old Testament, you'll see things like totally destroy, leave no survivor, um, destruction of anything and all things that have breath. When you hear phrases and statements like this, especially in Joshua, this is hyperbole. This is not literal. So read Genesis, uh, or Genesis, (laughs) read Deuteronomy chapter seven, where Israel is told to drive out the Canaanites and totally destroy them. And then you keep reading and it says, okay, don't marry these people, don't marry the Canaanites and don't do business with the Canaanites. Now help me out, you get the point, right? If you completely wipe out a nation and drive them out, can you marry them? Can you do business with them? No, this is hyperbole. This is not literal, destroy every single person. Uh, A couple other references, you can read Joshua chapter 10 and Joshua 15. And then the third thought is this. Um, battles were limited to a portion of the Canaanites at a unique moment. Um, this doesn't give believers or the people of Israel, like everywhere you go, just obliterate humanity. That, that's not it at all. Um, it's the idea that we, we have God's justice here and also that Israel is to stay completely away from this type of lifestyle. This is not the way God's people should go and act. I, I simply wanna th- spend a little bit of time just kind of giving you some resources and some verses that you can read on your own because for a lot of Christians and, and even non-Christians, you probably here in the room, um, this is a big struggle. So I gave you like just the tip of the iceberg. I wish I could give you more, but we just, we don't have time for it. I think that's a really Good place to start. So, um, hard pivot back to our back to our regular scheduled program. You got two more things in Joshua. He divides up the land between the twelve tribes of, of Israel. This is huge because it, it is signifying um, the covenant and promise with Abraham that has been fulfilled. You have your land. It's very boring reading, but I'm telling you to the people of Israel, this was the most exciting thing in the world. And then secondly, he says this at his old age. He says, we need to be very faithful to God. We need to do the things that God says to do. And if we disobey, if we're disobedient to God, it will not go well with us. The land will literally, will spit us out, will vomit us out, just like we are doing to the Canaanites, and we will be exiled. And the book ends. It ends just like that which leaves you kind of hanging, asking the question of like, well, is Israel faithful or are they disobedient to God? Which you and I, as the readers, we then internalize the the question and go, are we being faithful to God or are we being disobedient? The choice is ours. Now, I wanna go back to our question. What do you do when you feel underqualified to complete an overwhelming task? Because that's a really big deal. Number two in your notes, step into the leadership role God has given you and let God fight the battles. Step into it. Step into the leadership role God has for you and let God fight those battles. This is exactly what Joshua did, is it not? Joshua, here's an army. I need you to go fight these people. I don't know. Okay, Lord, I'll step into the leadership role. What are we doing? He says, don't worry about it. I'll fight the battle. You just walk in circles. And they do, and they're victorious. And here's what you and I do. We say, all right, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. Here we go. I'm gonna step into this role. I know you've got this thing for me. I'm gonna step into this new life that we talk about. I'm gonna step into it, and we go, "Yeah," we'll just, boop, like put our toe in. And I need to pray about it a little bit more, God, because I'm a little unclear of what it's gonna look like. So we pray about it, and we pray about it. And then we ask our friends in our small group, hey, come pray with me, come pray with me, come pray with me, come pray with me. And then we're like, ah, oh, I still don't really know. But in the back of our head, like, we totally know. Like, just go do the thing. But we're like, ah, oh, I gotta pray about it. So we talk to other family and friends, and we just keep praying about it. And I always get this picture of God up in heaven going, stop praying, I heard you the 50th time. Go, <laughs> go do the thing. The reason I'm not just snapping my fingers and solving all your problems, I want to instill with you the character that says, I know God's commanded me to do this, so I'm gonna walk in obedience. And if I keep snapping my fingers and solve all the problems in your life, you don't ever have to flex that muscle. He's like, walk, I've given you, develop that character, step out in the leadership role and be amazed at what I do. But if you're like me, we we want the whole picture. We want the blueprint, all the details. What I have realized is that God gives us the game plan And it's usually only the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Game plans, like, they they change, they flex as the game goes. That's why halftime is so crucial. You make adjustments, you go along the way. And and what I'm saying is when God reveals things for you and I to step into that are way above our pay grade, the idea is that we would step into them and he would take care of it because it's above our pay grade. The person we are today is not the person that will that we have to become to do the thing. There's a process to get there. We're totally unqualified to do this because we're here. But as we go and we're faithful and we flex those muscles, guess what? We become these people. Joshua is no Moses. But at at the end of the book, you'll read it. Read it on your own. You'll see that this guy walked with God and because of it, boom, Israel has the promised land. I'm telling you, for you and I, our job is to step into the role to be strong and courageous. And God says, here's your game plan. I will give you no more. Don't worry about the second quarter. Just trust me with that. I gave you first quarter. Here's the game plan. Step into it. Do the task and let me fight the battle. Another way of saying it is Proverbs 21, verse 31. And I just, I love this verse. It says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with who? The Lord. Lord. Meaning we need to do our part prep the horse and let God take care of the battle. Let's be honest. We can't control the outcome anyways, but we can do the best we can. We can be prepared with this and we can let God go and fight the battles. And look, here's, here's what I think this looks like for you and I to prepare the horse for battle. Let's not overthink this. I think it'd be as simple as just preparing our household and getting our household in order. Some of us, we have to step up and just admit, I blew it in the finances. I blew it but I, I need to get it in order. God has called me to lead this family well. So this is a topic I have to address. I have to talk about these things. Um, another thing we could talk about is, man, our home does not reflect anything closely related to the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, even the first three. That's not what we feel when we come home. Shh, family meeting, circle the wagons. Hey, I've screwed this up. I haven't led well this way. Step into it. I know it's gonna be awkward and they're gonna go, well, Steve, you're not real loving. You seem to draw. you know, you're, you're loud. I'm nervous about that outcome. I don't want to be called out. My job is to step into it and trust that the Holy Spirit is gonna be part of that conversation and his peace and his presence and his love and his joy will be in our homes, will be in our relationships, will be in every aspect of our life. So number three, be faithful in doing your part and watch God be faithful in his I don't know what it is. I'm telling you, this could be very, very small things of like just going home saying, hey, you know what? Our home is not operating the way we intended it to. I'm gonna step into that and trust God that he's gonna give us the words and the situations and the environment to make the changes. Others of you, others of you, it's the podcast that you've been thinking about that's been just in the back of your mind. You need to start that. And you need to start it today. Maybe not go live today, but, but you need to buy the microphones, do the things. You need to write the book that you've wanted to write. You need to go on YouTube and start doing the thing. You need to share your faith with your family. I don't know what the thing is, and I don't need to know what the thing is. The point is, you know what the thing is, don't you? It's, that thing, it's a conversation with people that there's, there's just tension and animosity, and you don't need to pray about it because you know you need to resolve it. Yes. You know, and all I'm trying to do is speak very loudly because this is a passionate thing for me, but to really shake you up and say, the time is now, step out now. You prepare the horse Let God do the thing. Let him worry about the end result. He said, I want you to write the book. So start chapter one. Well, is it gonna sell? Is it a topic that's relevant? Who cares? That's God's problem. You write the book. If you need to go and start the podcast, you have a nonprofit you've wanted to start. Like, go. Like, I'm trying to kick you out of the nest. Go, go do the thing. If there are prayers that you've been withholding from people, you need to pray for those people. If you have bitterness, today's the day to get rid of it and go step out and let God handle those results. And you go, well, I've done this before and it felt weird. I'm telling you, maybe this thing is not the thing. But your first step will lead you to the second step. And that's the thing. We need to be a people like Joshua, strong and courageous. I don't know what the end looks like, but I do know that Jesus told me to love people the way he did. So I'm gonna do that. I know he told me to love God. So I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna step out today and we're gonna do that. Can I get an amen? Amen. Be strong and be courageous. Okay, I wanna invite the band up. I wanna pray for us that we would do this because the tendency is to simply stay sit here, have the sermon and go, yeah, that's good. And then we just go into old habits, don't we? You ever been there? Yeah. And I'm the, guy, I'm the guy like giving the sermon. You know what I mean? like, this is not good. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Some of us need a gentle nudge. Some of us need a swift kick in the pants. So we're gonna pray for that. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna pray. Father God, Father God, would we be the people that are not so anxious and so concerned about the end result, but God, may we love the process because you are with us every step of the way. God, would we be strong? Would we be courageous? Would we step into the calling, the thing that you are leading us to? And God, when things get difficult and when we have challenges and setbacks, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would double down and we would really, truly trust in you. And as we look back over the months, days, weeks, even years, Father, in the rearview mirror of life, would we be amazed, amazed at your hand of blessing every step of the way. Amen. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said.